Fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bear exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. Want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look, but that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, six to eight on Joke Workshop with four minute sets and four minute critiques from everyone. Get Positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. Asiento. Come in after work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant and 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block from Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Come take a seat at Asiento. The Roxy Theater is San Francisco's favorite nonprofit art house cinema, bringing you the best, coolest, weirdest, most thought-provoking movies of the past, present, and future. Hands down, there is no better way to get your film fix than at this legendary historic theater. Visit www.roxy.com. That's www.roxie.com today for showtimes and tickets. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Everyone's dying.
Everybody, it's Labor and Love, a show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. 
if you don't have a table, seat at the table where you work, a negotiating table that is, you're on the menu. And never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. A labor and love show where the labor meets the road. Play something else before we get started here. I'm tired of moon songs, of star and of June songs. They simply make me nap. And ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic. I think they're all full of pap. History's making, nations are quaking. Why sing of stars above? For while we are waiting, Father Time's creating new things to be singing of. Sing me a song with social significance All other tunes are taboo I want a ditty with heat in it Appealing with feeling and meat in it Sing me a song with social significance Or you can sing till you're blue Let meaning shine from every line or I of wars and sing me of breadlines, tell me of front page news, sing me of strikes and last minute headlines, dress your observation in syncopation, sing me a song with social significance, there's nothing else that will do, it must get hot with what is what or I won't love you. a song that's satirical putting the mirror into miracle it must be packed with social fact or I won't love you sing me of kings and conferences marshal tell me of mills and mines sing me of courts that aren't impartial what's to be done with them tell me in rhythm sing me a song with social significance there's nothing else that will do it must be tense with common sense or i And that was Rosemary June with her song from um, the Union-produced musical, Pins and Needles, first presented in the 1930s, um, redone in the 50s, and later in the 70s, a musical by, for, and about members of the 
Needleworkers Union, I believe. Uh, they produced a whole show. And uh, this, this song, Sing Me a Song of Social Significance, is from that musical. We also heard Israel Kamako Wilole with his renditions of Wonderful World and Over the Rainbow. These songs are dedicated to Sylvia Ramirez, my better half. Then, um, what do we got today? This is the Labor and Love Show. And let me, let me begin by saying that we're here at 2781 21st Street at a community arts center called Mutiny Radios, formerly Mutiny Radio Cafe. Mutiny Radio is a center, as I said, Center for the Arts, video, radio, comedy, drama. Uh, every year we host a huge underground comedy festival here at Mutiny Radio. Um, Mutiny Radio has all different kinds of radio shows as well. So uh, what we need is your money. Now, you can pay your money in one way. You can come down and join Mutiny Radio. We do have open slots. So you, in this society, unfortunately, everybody doesn't have a, a voice. So get a voice. Come on down to Mutiny Radio. Today on the Labor and Love Show, well, we've got Radio Labor. We've got uh, This Day in Labor History. We've got Working Class History. And let's see what's on Labor and Love, the Labor Beat. Let's start with that. On the labor beat. On this day, June 1st, 1948, 3,000 mill workers in Salisbury, Vilefed, Quebec, walked off the job, starting a 100-day-long strike for the right to have a union. Colorado teachers reached their boiling point. Okay, as you know, a wave of teacher strikes has swept the country. Of all the places where the neocons thought they could get away with taking away money and then blaming uh, teachers, of all the people to rise up. Well, they've risen up all over the country in predominantly red states as well. Okay, this is Colorado. A town in Colorado called Pueblo. Pueblo teachers and paraprofessionals struck from May 7th to the 11th, the first school strike in Colorado in 24 years. They'd been working without a contract. The district was refusing to grant them a 2% cost of living increase and to increase contributions to their health insurance. 
even after an independent fact finder recommended those modern improvements. Pablo's school board rejected the recommendation in April by a three to two vote. Outraged teachers responded with rolling sick outs, choosing a different school every day. They pushed people to their boiling point, said a teacher at Pueblo East End High School. They thought our union was weak. Teachers were also motivated by district administration's top-down approach. We were not involved in any decisions, said Gomez. While their counterparts in Arizona wore red, Pueblo teachers took to the streets in bright pink, heightening their visibility as they picketed outside schools and or street corners. Professionals who help kids with behavioral issues or disabilities joined the strike too. Pueblo has strong union traditions, including a big steelworker's presence. The city's nickname is Steel City. Parents back the strike because they recognize what a tough job teachers have. Labor notes. Negotiations finally took place. A raucous crowd decked out in pink showed up early in the morning to greet the union's bargaining team for hours chance of get it done and Pueblo is a union town penetrated the administration office. Inside 30 teachers, paraprofessionals and community leaders sat in on negotiations periodically raising their hands and twinkling their fingers to show their support for the union side. The two sides reached a deal that afternoon. Teachers won their cost of living increases retroactive to January 1st, plus an extra $50 a month towards health insurance. Paraprofessionals got a similar deal. So there's a case study of a teacher strike in Colorado, in a town in Colorado. Uh, people might think of it as a blue state. Uh, it's probably pretty, pretty equal between uh, um, conservative and more progressive points of view. And in Las Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people who live in Vegas and stay in Vegas all the time. This is on NBC News. Las Vegas casino workers prepare for citywide strike after contracts expire. The Culinary Union said in a statement early Friday that hospitality workers plan to begin making thousands of picket signs. The labor contracts of about 50,000 workers at Las Vegas Strip and downtown casinos expired at midnight Thursday, raising the prospect of a strike. 
They include bartenders, food and cocktail servers, porters and cooks at 34 casino resorts who are members of the Culinary Union. By 4.30 a.m. ET on Friday, the union had not called for an actual walkout. Last week, 25,000 unionized workers voted 99% in favor of authorizing a strike should their contracts expire. Caesars Entertainment, MGM Resorts, Caesars Palace, the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, Excalibur, and Luxor all are potentially affected. MGM Resorts on strike. If a large-scale strike is called, it would be the first in more than three decades. The Culinary Union said in a statement that hospitality workers were preparing for a citywide strike. The union added that negotiations were ongoing with Caesars Entertainment regarding a new contract. On Thursday, union spokesman Bethany Khan said no more meetings had been scheduled with MGM. I, wasted so much time waiting for I want to check and see if there's a later version of that. Let's do a little African electronic. I wasted so much time. Okay, now this is about two hours ago. A union, well, let's see. A union representing the Las Vegas casino workers who have reached a tentative labor agreement with Cesar's Entertainment says specific details won't be released until the contract is ratified. The Culinary Union and Caesars on Friday reached the tentative agreement covering about a quarter of the 50,000 hotel and casino workers that are threatening to strike in Las Vegas. Union Secretary Treasurer Giacondo Arguello Klein says it believes Caesars got what it needs for business continue and the labor organization one what it needs to still provide the American dream for members. Caesar's properties on the Las Vegas Strip covered by the deal are Bally's, Flamingo, Harrah's, Paris, Planet Hollywood, the Cromwell, the Lincoln, Caesar's Palace, including Nobu. Caesar's did not respond to a request for comment Friday. Uh, here's some later news about 5.30 this morning. There appears to be a tentative labor, labor agreement that would cover about a quarter of the 50,000 hotel and casino workers that are threatening to strike in Las Vegas. So 
That's all still up in the air. There might be a strike in Las Vegas. Very well might be. Okay. Um, let's listen to Radio Labor. First part of our show is usually dedicated to some kind of news. We still have... Uh, we're going to play part of a Howard Zinn-inspired uh, DVD. You'll hear the uh, soundtrack of major major radical movements in the uh, mostly the 20th century called The People Speak so we're going to play part of that it's the Labor and Love Show play a little music here this is from the film Oh Brother Where Art Thou The other night dear as I lay sleep I dreamed I held you in my arms But when I awoke here I was mistaken And I hung my head and I cried For my sunshine, my only sunshine You make me happy when skies are gray You never know I'm 
stayed at home Who uses all his powers to do evil But in the end, is left so all alone That man who will is a finger's cheek
the poem of Grant, who wishes he would have stayed home, who uses all his power to do evil, but in the end is always left so all alone.
Whoa. Can't get better than that. Nina Simone singing slow and low blues. Blues from Mama. Before that, we had Taj Mahal, who pities the poor immigrants. With good reason. Poor immigrant is bent on destruction, bent on, bent on murder, bent on death, to living the things that should live. I pity the poor immigrant because it's going to kill him too. Guantanamera was before that the song of the Nueva Cancion the huge cooperation between United States people and Mexican people and all the various combinations thereof. Actually, Latin American people, uh, Sudamérica, los Sudamericanos con los Norteamericanos. And uh, especially among teachers, there was a, a huge unity between white teachers and young white teachers and young Latinos. Guantanamera, the song of uh, the Fidelistas. And then before that, Bob Marley with Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up for Your Rights. Never forget to stand up for your rights because if you sit down and don't stand up, they'll say you didn't want your rights. They say you didn't care about your money. You didn't care. Um, Going to get on to Radio Labor now. Radio Labor is a worldwide a collection, a collection of worldwide labor happenings and um, labor agendas. Radio Labor World Report. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 1st, 2018. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, unionists at the ILO conference call for an end to violence in the workplace. Changes to the world of work should be based on social justice. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Hundreds of unionists from around the world are in Geneva this week and next for the annual conference of the UN's International Labor Organization. The ILO is the United Nations agency which focuses on matters of work in the world. It is operated as a tripartite organization with representatives of governments, employer groups, and labor unions. One of its main activities is the development of proposed international laws called conventions 
which member states can adopt. At this year's conference, a convention on violence and harassment at work will be debated. I talked to Chitty King about the proposed convention. Ms. King is the director of the Equality Department of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the global body which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress. I asked Ms. King to describe the proposed convention on violence and harassment at work. Well, I should probably start by saying that although the focus of our campaign at the ITUC and the campaign of um, our partner unions has been focused on gender-based violence, um, the ILO will actually discuss this summer the possibility of a convention and recommendation on violence and harassment in the world of work, so covering all workers. We had a focus on gender-based violence because even though great progress has been made um, in many respects towards gender equality and equity, there's still quite a bit of unfinished business. So progress has been made, for instance, in areas such as pay and leadership, but arguably the area in which we've made the least progress is in tackling gender-based violence in the world of work, and this is one of the most egregious um, and persistent violations of human rights in the world of work. Do you have an idea of how widespread the problem of violence at work is? We have statistics coming from various parts of the world. So, for example, if we were looking globally, we would say that at least 35% of women have experienced some form of sexual or physical violence. And this covers the home, the communities, as well as the workplace. What would be the effect of the ILO's adoption of a convention on violence and harassment at work? Well, I think one of the most important things that an international labor standard could do is signal very clearly that violence and harassment are simply not part of the job. Many workers, particularly women workers, um, given they're often subordinate positions in the workplace, experience forms of violence and gender-based violence um, almost on a daily basis, but are either too afraid to speak up, um, whether it's fearing retaliation, including the loss of their job, or just feeling that nothing much will be done about it. And I think we saw quite a little bit of this phenomenon or quite a lot of this phenomenon in the social media outpouring that came along with hashtag MeToo, etc. So sending this strong message that gender-based violence or violence and harassment are simply unacceptable and not part of the job. How could labor unions use a convention on violence and harassment at work? Well, I think it would be a very useful tool in the army of trade unions in terms of social dialogue engagement, for one thing. So in countries especially where legislation may be already um, quite advanced, it would give the unions in those countries clear direction in terms of what they should be engaging in their governments and employers to improve the situation. In other countries where there might be little to no regulation on this, again, it would give trade unions um, a very clear direction on what needs to be addressed or what needs to be put in place in order to address violence and harassment in the world of work. It would raise it up the union agenda, hopefully see more, although we're seeing an increase already in terms of collective bargaining activity, for instance, around this, it should certainly raise it up trade union collective bargaining agenda. And just in terms, again, of awareness-raising activities, it gives us an international baseline around which to engage with employers, engage with governments in order to finally address this issue with the urgency and seriousness it deserves.
The ILO is taking advantage of its annual conference in Geneva to report on the activities of its Commission on the Future of Work. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. Primary goal of an initiative by the UN's International Labour Organization is that the future of work must be based on social justice. The ILO has established a commission on the future of work which will produce a report next year as the organization turns 100. The 28-member commission is headed by the President of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, and the Prime Minister of Sweden, Stefan Lovien. One of the Labour representatives on the commission is Philip Jennings, the General Secretary of Uni Global Union. Uni represents more than 20 million workers employed in a wide range of skills and services, including retail sale, banking, beauty, sports, and tourism. At a meeting conducted while the ILO was holding its annual conference in Geneva, Mr. Jennings spoke about the report being prepared by the ILO's Commission on the Future of Work. I see this report about the future of social justice for humanity. I also think the historical context is important. This will launch the centenary year of the ILO. Let's wind back to that period that brought the ILO into existence of the mayhem, the massacre, the death, the end of the First World War and a desire to change the landscape of the world. And if we look at some of those populistic trends that we see today, the rise of xenophobia and division and hate in this world, then this commission is very attuned to all those messages of history, the warning signs of history, that if we can get the social justice equation right, then this is also a roadmap to peace. Now, a new era for growth. We think that there's been a chronic underinvestment in people. If we look at the investment in people that is taking place, and when you look at some of the, the, the social balance sheet that we have of wage share, of vulnerable work, and four billion people without social protection, can we use this report as a spark for a new era of economic growth? spurred by investment in people, investment in the human capacity. Therefore, there is tremendous potential here. And I look back to 1919 and the major investment that took place in the world in those post-war years in public investment into education so that all children would have access to education. We have to have the same revolution in thinking when it comes to adult education as well as. We've talked about the new digital trends. Yes, artificial intelligence and the ethics of it will be addressed. The power of big data and the protection of data and the power of data and how it can be manipulated in the new psychographic world. These people know what they're doing. They know what emotions they're playing with needs to be addressed. We've also, I have to say, I suggested it. Let's look at the labor relations records of the so-called fangs of these big five or the big six and look at how, the, how is their behavior in terms of the UN guiding principles. They have such an influence on our life. They should be examples also in the labor relations field. Our sense is that work will not collapse. Even if the OECD yesterday said 14% of jobs will be replaced by the technologies potentially, and one third of the workforce will also be directly impacted. But therefore, 
In this new world of work, we have to identify forms of work which are unacceptable, which we can't endorse or support as a model. We have to have the universality of rights. The platform workers, the gig workers, and these new economic actors have to be brought into the world of, of labour standards, and there's signs that they're beginning to under, understand this. In a process of change, the voice of workers has to be heard. Therefore, those core labour standards of the ILO, whether you're in Silicon Valley or whether you're in a garment factory in Bangladesh, those labour standards apply. And the collective bargaining is an important tool in this process. And what kind of public services will we require to ensure that this revolution is in fact helping social justice? The Commission is scheduled to release its report in January 2019. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 180 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top story section included links to coverage of a possible strike by 50,000 American hospitality workers over job losses caused by automation, the record low number of strikes in the United Kingdom in recent years, a strike by over 1 million bank workers in India, and the election of the first woman to lead a Turkish Union Federation. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Australian brewery workers were off work in a wage dispute. Cinema workers escalated their wage dispute into a national walkout in New Zealand. Indian sanitation workers ended their walkout after winning a huge wage increase. A change to the definition of the minimum wage in South Korea resulted in a one-day national general strike. Nepalese healthcare workers walked off the job after four workers were sacked for undisclosed reasons. Argentinian public transport workers maintained their strike over the arrest of 16 of their union's leaders. Coal miners in Bangladesh continued their walkout. Healthcare workers struck in Israel to protest the shortages of staff. And university workers in Nigeria shut down their campus after their union leadership was suspended for having exposed fraud by the university's senior administrators. Our top working women's stories included coverage of a survey that identified 104 countries in which certain jobs are denied to women, the arrest of 800 women public health workers by Pakistani police after they occupied government offices who demand the payment of months of wages that are owed to them, and the election for the first time of a woman to lead the Swedish Electricians Union. The Health and Safety Newswire rerun in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about more attacks on paramedics in Australia and the United Kingdom, the steep rise in workplace deaths since a state of emergency was declared in Turkey, and the union demands for a cleanup and compensation after 200 Guyanese workers were found to have mercury poisoning and about the technical assistance that union is receiving from unions around the world. Currently, Labor Start is running two online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackheader from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. This is called If It Weren't for the Union by Peter Hicks and Jeff Francis. 
and that is American folk singer Robin Roberts. Our union story is here to be seen. We've won many victories and suffered defeats. But as I turn through the pages and look back through time, there's one single question stands out in my mind. Today we may prosper, today we live free, but if it weren't for the union, where would we be? It's our union, our union that defends our rights, but our union's as strong as our will is to fight, for the union is you and the union is me, so stand up and stand by our union. From its humble beginnings, our union has grown, so no working person needs struggle alone. But no gain that's been made has been made without cost, and together we'll see that no gain's ever lost. Take a look at those countries where workers aren't free. If it weren't for the unions, where would we be? It's our unions, our union that defends our rights. But our unions as strong as our will is to fight. For the union is you and the union is me. So stand up and stand by our choose to toil more and a pittance be paid would you stand with the union against the new right or do you think on your own you can withstand their might the answer is written in our history if it weren't for the union where would we be it's our union our union that defends our rights but our unions as strong as our will is to fight for the union is you and the union is me so stand up and stand by our union. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, that was a radio labor report, sort of connects us to what's going on all around the world and reminds us that we're never alone. We're only alone when we don't stand up. One of the interesting questions of labor history, or one of the, is what happened to the labor movement that had been so militant and so forceful and so popular, popular based in the 1930s that by the time we get to the 1950s we get a very buttoned down version of unionism uh, coat and tie unionism top down unionism uh, oftentimes it seemed that the union leaders at the time had more in common with uh, the business people so what happened? Some people say, well, one reason is that during World War II, the whole uh, union management relationship was formalized and things began to be done through mail, through the courts, 
and much less there on the floor. The other thing is that the, the right wing, you know, which has always controlled American politics more or less, usually more, uh, got organized and fought back against union power. Uh, the crucial thing to me is that unions purge themselves of their most capable organizers, their most radical, and thus the ones who could really work, reach people where they lived and where they worked. One of these was Luisa Moreno. Uh, Luisa Moreno, the woman named Luisa Moreno, was um, Guatemalteca, came to the United States in the late 20s, was from a middle-class uh, family, and uh, participated in 1930 in a uh, demonstration against... Uh, stereotypical Mexican characters in a movie called Sagebrush on the Range or something like that. I don't know if it was Roy Rogers. At any rate, the, her group was upset at the way Mexicans were portrayed as being sneaky and bad and untrustworthy and lying and the, the typical way that uh, people from other cultures were presented in uh, U.S. popular media. During this strike, during this demonstration, a young man was, a demonstrator was hit in the head by a policeman and his skull was fractured and she this was kind of a, an echo moment for her, a wake-up moment for her. She said, there it was. He's in my arms, and he was bleeding to death because of the police, the way the world is. So she became a labor organizer uh, while she worked in Harlem as a seamstress. Um, later on, she moved to California and um, as a worker for the CIO, organized uh, garment workers, cannery workers, and uh, just became a really prominent voice in the politics of Southern California at the time. So much so that she was targeted by the right wing during World War II, the infamous Zoot Suit Riots, when um, servicemen from who were on their way overseas were, were given sh shore leave, and uh, tension developed between these young, mostly white U.S. soldiers and sailors, and mostly Mexican-American young men that would be bound to happen but of course the way it, w it got carried off into racist confrontations the white soldiers were 
basically given carte blanche to do whatever they want. In many cases, they turned their anger against costu- against a costume, against a fashion statement, against zoot suits. And they said it wasn't patriotic to have zoot suits because they used so much material and the Mexican-Americans had the blood of the Aztecs in their veins who had practiced human sacrifice and just this whole villainization of Mexican-Americans and their culture. Luisa Moreno spoke out strongly against that, organized a coalition of labor unions and interested people to counteract it, and then uh, became the target uh, after World War II in the 1950s when the big freeze was on. People like Luisa Moreno were separated from their unions. The FL and the CIO and the big unions didn't want to be associated with them. They wanted to get in and get a piece of the pie, but they forgot about the people who had given them all their power and all their their wisdom in a way and all their organizing the ones who went out and organized the unorganized the ones who went out and organized people that everyone else had given up on so Luisa Moreno people like uh, Dorothy Healy who organized in the Central Valley uh cotton strike people like this got separated and and this is only you know a couple of names but these people the labor the labor movement turned its back on them after the Taft-Hartley law that said you have to register if you were a communist Smith McCarranack, maybe one of those so that's what happened to the labor movement the labor movement practiced Um, self-amputation among the other reasons I want to celebrate Luisa Moreno after World War II she was the target of a vicious campaign a smear campaign by uh, led by a guy named John Tenney who had been a Roosevelt Democrat but became the epitome of the red baiter of the white red baiter Uh, She was deported in 1950, named Red, uh, went to Guatemala, did some work in Cuba, but basically settled in Mexico and um, cared for her husband, a white carpenter who had been with her all along in the labor movement, Luisa Moreno. 1907 to 1992. And here's what her labor card says. California has become prosperous with the toil and sweat of Mexican immigration. She said. Moreno came to New York from Guatemala in 1928 and worked as a seamstress in Harlem. She was radicalized during a 1930 demonstration where she saw police beating protesters. 
Luisa worked with Latina and African-American cigar rollers in Florida and pecan workers in Texas. She settled in California to organize cannery workers and became a leading voice opposing the beating of young Mexicans by servant, servicemen during the so-called Zoot Suit Riots. She was deported to Mexico in 1950 at the height of the Red Scare. Luisa Moreno, we celebrate you. Labor Beat talked about uh, the Las Vegas casino workers. Let's listen to our... I wanted to hear some Francesca. Francesca works on the... Uh, Show decoded. Have to look that up. Anyway. Working class history. On this day, June 2nd, 1925, Bulgarian actress and revolutionary Mariola Sirakova was executed. An activist in the guerrilla resistance to the dictatorship, Mariola was caught up in a campaign of repression by fascists and the army in the wake of a bomb attack by the Communist Party on Sofia Cathedral, which was revenge for the military murdering 35,000 workers and peasants. After her death, her younger brother carried on struggle for workers' liberation until he was later imprisoned in a concentration camp in the later communist regime. All right, let's start now. I want to say a word about the people speak. This is a Howard Sin uh, inspired collection of great speeches and uh, words by famous American resistance leaders. Just as women and black people had to fight for the rights promised in the Declaration of Independence, Americans have always had to struggle for economic justice. Tenants against landlords, workers against employers, the have-nots against the haves. When you suggest, oh, there are rich and poor, there are different classes, there's always a political somebody who will get worried uh, and say, hey, you, you're appealing to class conflict. We've always had class conflict. We don't have to create class conflict. We don't have to provoke class conflict. There has always been class conflict in this country from the very beginning. And we learn in school that our country represents the greatest leap of wealth in modern history. But we don't learn that most of the people did not benefit from this economic progress. The poor people, working people, were very often left behind while the riches accumulated at the top. But people protested these conditions. In 1932, in the midst of the Great Depression, veterans of the First World War, who had been promised a bonus for their service,
came by the thousands to Washington, D.C. from all over the country to demand that Congress pay the promised bonus. Their encampment across from the Capitol was attacked and dispersed by the United States Army. Yip Harburg's song, Brother Can You Spare a Dime, expressed their desperation. Once I built a tower to the south, brick and rivet and line. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once in khaki suits, gee, we look swell. Full of that Yankee doodle dawn A half a million boots went slogging through hell And I was a kid with a drum Oh, say, do you remember they called me Al? It was Al all the time don't you remember I'm your pal Brother, can you spare a dime? In 1929, ten years after the end of World War I, came the most severe economic collapse in the history of the nation. People stood on bread lines, struggling to survive. One third of the labor force was out of work. Black people were especially hard hit, and they found that their needs were ignored by the government. Langston Hughes, an African-American poet of the Harlem Renaissance, voiced their frustration. The pot was empty. The cupboard was bare. I said, Papa, what's the matter here? Waiting on Roosevelt's son. Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Waiting on Roosevelt's son. The rent was due and the lights were out. I said, tell me, mama, what's it all about? We're waiting on Roosevelt's son. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, just waiting on Roosevelt. Sister got sick and doctor wouldn't come cause we wouldn't pay him the proper sum. I'm waiting on Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. That's the waiting on Roosevelt. Then one day they put us out the house. Ma and Pa was meek as a mouse. Still waiting on Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. But when they felt those cold wind blows and didn't have no place to go, Pa said, I'm tired of waiting on Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Damn tired of waiting on Roosevelt. I can't get a job and I can't get no grub. My backbone and navel doing the belly rub. I'm waiting on Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. And a lot of other folks was hungry and cold. Done stop believing what they've been told by Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Cause the pot's still empty and the cupboard's still bare and you can't build a bungalow out of air. Mr. Roosevelt, listen.
enfant, ça fait plus d'un mois qu'il est né. Et il n'a toujours pas décidé de prendre la couleur locale. Et toi, tu soutiens que c'est mon fils, ça <rire> Agatha, ne me mens pas. Okay, that was Danny Glover reading uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt by Langston Hughes. Um, so, working class history, we read about the Bulgarian woman who grows up all over the world, everywhere. The common factor that we all confront is our labor, our control over it, or our lack of control over it, our compensation for it, our rights on the job, our rights off the job. So everywhere, labor is everywhere. On this day, June 2nd, 1975, 100 sex workers occupied the church of Saint-Musier-Léon, refusing to leave unless their convictions were soliciting the word descended. So this is prostitute's paradox. <laughs> You're fulfilling a need. People come to you with this need. They have to have sex, right? It highlights the difficulties these politically inexperienced women encountered in mobilizing, namely preventing defections and choosing an appropriate mode of action. Difficulties they were able to surmount thanks to resources provided by outside supporters endowed with practical knowledge and matters of collective action. Despite this assistance, however, the prostitutes' mobilization quickly declined and soon expired, in part because of the leader's defection. The leader's defection. I'm talking about again with the AFL-CIO. Defection by the leaders. The leaders signed their own path. Working class history. On this day, what, June 1st, 1971, 70 homeless families occupied empty homes in Vietibaldi, Milan. Supported by local factory workers, building workers, and the unemployed, they resisted two violent police attempts at eviction before eventually forcing the local government to rehouse them and 140 other families. On this day, June 1st, 1940, the Greek anarchist, feminist, poet, and actor Katrina Ruru was born. She opposed the military dictatorship and later supported workers' struggles in the burgeoning LGBT movement in the 1980s. And frequently was subjected to violence by the police. 
de l'enfant de toutes les couleurs, Agatha. De toutes les couleurs. June 1st, 1926, a police patrol in Wyndham, Australia, headed out searching for an aboriginal man who killed a white man who had whipped and assaulted him. They returned on 19 June, but in the meantime, the Forest River Massacre took place when the officers murdered and buried, burned anywhere between 11 and 300 indigenous people. The Royal Commission confirmed the massacre took place, but no officers were convicted of any offenses. Play some music. Pass. Um, so, I mean, it could be a theme now of the labor movement that your best organizers, the, the famous story is told of uh, Ho Chi Minh, who sent an organizer to a village. And the organizer came back. He says, no, no, we can't organize these people. All they want to do is go to church. And Ho Chi Minh looked at him and said, okay, go to church. In other words, see, see what people really need. So often, over-intellectual people approach situations assuming they know the the landscape but they don't they bring their own values with them okay Fred Neal sometimes it feels like this everybody's talking at me I don't hear a word they're saying
Sailing on a summer breeze Skipping over the ocean like a stone Everybody's talking at me Can't hear a word to say This is The Bee reminding you you're listening to Labor and Love Radio, your weekly labor magazine. Labor opinion, news, commentary, history, by, for, and about working people. And as as every week, we dedicate our show to those people, those working people, the unknown worker, the tomb of the unknown worker. Every 15 seconds in the world, a worker. 
worker dies from a job-related condition or situation. Tomb of the unknown of the unknown worker. Go something like this, huh? Um, you have built all the cities. Cleared the continents. You have made the roads. Made others rich. And what have you got to show for it? These were words from uh, Bartolomeo Vanzetti. Sacco and uh, Vanzetti fame. relates to the prostitute strike about Oh, too shy. 
Okay, that was Bob Marley and the Whalers. Uh, stir it up. I was watching a uh, a John Lennon uh, or listening to a John Lennon show on satellite radio this week, and I remembered uh, this beautiful song. John and Yoko. John Lennon's Imagine, of course, and um, it's about time to close down the show. 
on labor and love, we always have more to say and do than we have time for. I guess that's a good thing. This is The Bee, and this is Labor and Love on Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, where we tell you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you're not, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu, and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Signing off. Hold on tight. Stay here for my buddy you know, Scott Walker and his flat black. And making a kind of a variety. Hi, everybody. Of the program. It requires a lot of different facts of life that we must know about. And when you think about various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, the various nationalities, the various people all over the world. We have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, 
my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak ceiling. Yes. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. 
Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. It goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Flat black plastic. That's what you're listening to on mutinyradio.fm.